Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Caged In. This is episode 96. 96, baby. Cage been a lot of films, right? <laughs> if you're new to the podcast on here, we watch every single Nicolas Cage film to determine is he the greatest actor of all time or does he deserve to be locked away in a cage and forced to be put in a leather cat suit and blown to smithereens by bombs on his wrists, ankles and testes? And a couple on his neck. So that gives you a clue of what film we're talking about today. You probably already know because it's in the show title, but it is Sion Sono's Gonzo Crazy Samurai Western Revenge Man on a Mission film, Prisoners of the Ghostland. And my guest is the fantastic Ben Chaloner, who you'll hear about all about in due time again if you are new to proceedings here we spoil these films completely so we will be talking about all the gory details that go into prison of the Ghostland, which you can currently watch in cinemas it's quite a limited release and i think it's supposed to be hitting digital that may just be a us thing but if you can see it check it out it's a it's a lot of fun and obviously if you've already seen it enjoy this conversation because it's 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 great and you'll you'll learn a lot about Sion Sono and some fantastic recommendations from Ben in this chat as well before we go on with this one obviously I'd like to apologize for the delay on this episode um you might be able to hear it in my voice but I'm I'm pretty ill and I probably made um I don't know, somewhat of a kind of mistake <laughs> in the fact that I went to the Prince Charles Cinema Nicolas Cage Marathon All-Nighter where I watched The Rock, Conair, Face Off, Drive Angry and Mandy over a 12-hour period. And it, uh, I could feel myself progressively getting iller and iller over the night and kind of ended up staying up over the kind of Saturday and Sunday period for like 37 hours and just felt like an absolute left exploded bollock 
since. You'll be able to hear all about that, though, next week as I'm recording a special kind of uh, recap of that event and talking to some people who were there, possibly talking to one of the people who was working at it. So that should be nice and fun. So with all of that out of the way, all that's left to do is to head to Samurai Town Get your leather cat suit on and get raging with Cage. This week, we're heading to Samurai Town to talk about the newest slice of mania from poet-turned-gonzo filmmaker, the enigmatic and wholly visionary Japanese director Sion Sono's newest film, Prisoners of the Ghostland. His first English language film, which of course stars our boy, Nicolas Cage, as well as Bill Mosley, Sophia Batella, Nick Cassavetes, and Tak Suraguchi. Joining me in this race against the clock, donning his leather cat suit, rigged to the teeth with explosives conveniently placed on his limbs, <laughs> neck, and bollocks, his podcaster, film fan, father, OG host of yours and my favourite triple bill linked by a word in the title podcast, Sudden Double Deep, and avid Asian cinema watcher, Ben Challoner. Are you feeling radioactive today, Ben? <laughs> what an intro. Petros, thank you, man. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited to chat about this film with you today. I mean, I remember you, we we spoke about this months ago. Yeah, You're like, yeah. you know, this film's coming out, and I was, I'm saving it for you. And I was like, <laughs> yes, mate. And then it kept getting delayed. And I was like, when is this going to happen? Oh, it's uh, it feels a bit surreal that we're finally here now. But um, I, yeah, I couldn't be happier. Well, one of the things, like I, well, because I think all the time that I've like, known you, like it's kind of weird. It's that thing of like we've chatted a lot o- online and stuff like that. And like, yeah, I've always known you as like the kind of. Uh, asian cinema guy obviously like your like people who don't know your your twitter like name is in japanese uh, uh, am i getting that right yeah and stuff like that's that. correct yeah and always always yeah. kind of these weird and wonderful films that you're like recommending and stuff like that i just wanted to begin the chat by asking like how did you kind of what was your entry point and how did you kind of become such a avid fan of asian cinema yeah awesome well i, I mean so I've been studying film like most of my life. Like, and not just, you know, we all watch films as kids and whatever, but when I got to my A-levels, there was a film studies class mm-hmm. at my college. And I was like, that, that's a bit of me. And my my teacher was a massive fan of Takeshi Kitano. So he introduced me to all of his films. And that was the year that Battle Royale came out as well. Um, so we went to see that together. And I just kind of realised, like, there's this side of cinema that's not represented uh, in the West, which is like this super poetic, but really violent and kind of like, like esoteric and existential. And it, it just blew my mind. And that kind of moved me into like the one car, why kind of elements and, and stuff like that. Um, and as I got older, you know, like Takashi Miike and, and on and on and on. Yeah, yeah. So that was my real entry point into it. Um, but the time that my Twitter actually just turned into essentially like an East Asian <laughs> cinema, like fanboy site, uh, was when I had my daughter, um, which was January of last year. And 
I'd had to step away from Sudden Double Deep, sadly, because, I mean, I love that show and I love those guys. Um, but I think the time I spent, because I threw myself into it so hard <laughs> that I was spending all my time, you know, writing pages and pages of notes on these films and coming with all this trivia yeah. and, you know, like doing these side episodes on the soundtracks and stuff. And I was just like, I can't commit to this anymore. So I, I backed away and I decided that I was only going to watch films that, you know, I really loved. And I think I started off by just watching like a tale of two sisters and then like audition and just all this really messed up horror stuff. And I just kept going with it. And I just started seeing my followers like grow and grow and grow. Amazing. And I was getting more and more interaction from people saying, Oh, I love this film. And I was like, wow, this just happened naturally. And now, yeah, now we're almost like, you know, two years later and like you said, most people know me as the East Asian cinema guy, which you <laughs> yeah. know, I do watch other films, but yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, that's like, I long for the day that I can, my life can be just watching films that I love, like you yeah. mentioned, because doing this podcast, it is just like my, my like viewing schedule. I'm actually looking at like the upcoming episodes for this podcast and like, give people a little bit of a as 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 our friends over on sudden double deep say a little bit of a sizzle here i've got 50 <laughs> shades darker written on a board in front of me right now that's not a film that i'm i'm looking forward to watching and uh, it's uh, but but it's what's the, the coppola connection on that one so um john Schwartzman was the dop so that is all uh, <laughs> right yeah it's a it's a weird and wonderful way i get to to watch all these films but um yeah i'm not going to give away what else is written in front of me because there's there's some stuff i'm i'm looking forward to to chatting about and uh, and actually watching but um obviously we're here to Absolutely. talk about nicholas cage and i must ask you before we get any further with proceedings ben are you a nick cage fan <laughs> yeah absolutely unequivocally i've i've loved him again like as long as i can remember like i think my first kind of entry into like the nick cage sort of <laughs> universe was the kind of michael bay stuff you know like the rock and um oh, what's that con air yeah, yeah. um and then john woo put him in face off and that i just remember that film just blowing my mind i just <laughs> I couldn't believe that was a thing. And that was before I even thought about the intricacies of like, wait, so Nick Cage is like acting like Travolta, which is something that like, you know, I think at the time didn't really hit me. Uh, but yeah. There's a great story about uh, like the script being shopped around for Face Off where loads of studio execs were reading it and being like, but aren't, aren't isn't this film going to cost loads on like the effects <laughs> budget because we're going to have to, make that actor look like the other actor and they're like well no you just get that actor to act like the other actor of course <laughs> <laughs> it's easy when you think about it yeah yeah hilarious it feels oh, man it feels very fitting that obviously you talk about john woo because obviously there's yeah there's something fascinating about nick cage and kind of how he can bring an audience to a specific director and i think it's like a testament to his i don't know the choices he makes like in, in the way that like some some for good some for bad like sometimes he brings you to the attention of directors 
that don't deserve it because they're just shit. But like, other times he'll, he'll introduce, like, off of Face Off, I, I imagine tons of people would have watched Hard Boiled and loads of other John Woo stuff. A hundred percent. I mean, you see it all the time on Twitter too, I'm sure. But, you know, when people are saying like, has Nick Cage always been good or has he just got good in the last few years? And if you look back at his filmography, he's been making like five or six films a year for the last 30, 40 years. And, you know, one of them will usually be amazing. Uh, (laughs) Two of them will be kind of passable. And then (laughs) two of them will be utter tripe. And he's stayed pretty consistent with that. Uh, God love him, you know. And I mean, I think he thinks this whole thing is an adventure, which yeah. it really should be. And, you know, why pick the same films all the time? I mean, The Rock, for example, he's making millions and millions of dollars every year, basically playing the same character in the same film. And I mean, you know, fair play to him, but Nick Cage does not do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to push you. You obviously talked about the um, the kind of entry point, but... Do you remember what was the first Nick Cage film? The, the yeah, the 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 moment you kind of your eyes widened, you went, "Wow, here he is." I think the first Nick Cage film I saw in the cinema was mm-hmm. Gone in sixty Seconds, wow. <laughs> um, but I definitely know. I think it was The Rock. I think The Rock was my my first ever film of his. I'm, I, I, I as we're speaking now, this coming Saturday, I will be watching The Rock. Connor face off a mystery film and Mandy on the big screen <laughs> at the Prince Charles cinema, like age marathon, which like, I love, I love those marathons. They do. They're amazing. So yeah, I've never seen any of those films on the big screen, much to my, much to my like dismay, but like, yeah, the fact I tell you, the rock was, and, and I'm looking forward to revisiting the rock. Cause it's one that like of that, testosterone trilogy as i call it it's it's possibly like my least favorite like it's like my personal ranking is connor i haven't face i haven't seen it in like two decades i don't think but um i just remember having such fond memories of it i I should revisit it (laughs) i don't know i mean now if if i was going to pick a nick cage film that i could just watch every day without any any worries whatsoever can you guess what is um oh Oh, oh well, that that might lead me on to which is is this the same as your favourite Nick Cage film? It is, yeah. Oh, is that a question for later? That is the, that is the the next question, Ben. You've set me up perfectly. Oh. Which is your favourite Nick Cage film, or do you want me to guess? Go for it. It's, I'll give you a clue. It's not an East Asian director. Um. <laughs> Actually, that doesn't really narrow it down much, does it? Maybe it takes two out of the equation. Yeah, I was going to say that's 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 two out of. Uh, close to 100 <laughs> so there's 98 left um i'm just gonna pull this one I, mandy oh no i mean i i love that film <laughs> and talking about i saw that in the cinema and it melted my face it's incredible no it's um world at heart david oh, lynch which perfectly is a perfect answer for this episode because that is sion sono's favorite nicholas cage film as well so like I kind of love that. I read that as well. So, yeah, Nick said, um, this is probably the wildest film I've ever done. And Sono went, no, it's fucking not. You did well done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is just so perfect. I love that response. He's like, he had the perfect marketing tag and he was like, no, this is wrong. It's not as wild as Wild at Heart. Yeah. Which, yeah. which is a film like, 
I'm kind of like, because there's this mystery film at the Prince Charles, like for a while I was thinking, oh, I hope it's Wild at Heart. And then they like said, it's a film we've never shown before. And I'm like, they always show Wild at Heart. It's not going to be Wild at Heart. So like, um, yeah, yeah, it's probably going to be like Willy's Wonderland or something. I hope not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> See, I quite like that. We covered that on Sudden Double Deep. Um, I came back um, a few months ago for the Willy episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we had Willy Millie and uh, Free Willy 2, along with Willy's Wonderland. But yeah. I, I enjoy Willy's Wonderland. It's more the fact that, like, in the, in the run-up of that film coming out, like, I watched it maybe three or four times because like doing interviews and stuff like that so i'm kind of i'm a bit willied out do you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) no i get it i get it it just reminded me so i'm a big uh, gamer like i love my playstation and it reminded me a lot of those those like leveling up games yes 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 yes. you have a boss then you have a pinball match then you have a refresh you know i like the momentum of it and again like he took a chance on a a first-time director and i just thought it was awesome yeah there's like that is that is the thing throughout Cage's career. And it's like, I think one of the things a lot of people forget about Cage as well is he's worked with some of, well, no, possibly most of the best directors of all time. Do you know what I mean? Especially, yeah. like, in American cinema. And, like, he's, do you know what I mean? Like, revolutionary, like, East Asian directors as well, John Woo and Sion Sono. He's kind of like, it's like he's got this wish list of directors and it's like, guess most actors would look at like the palmer hmm. scorsese like ridley scott um francis ford coppola and go like i want to work with those guys and it's like cage is like i've done it i've done it i've done it i've done it do you know what i mean it's only, there's only like a kind of handful of guys whether it's like uh spit like spielberg or like there's yeah certain people he hasn't worked with but like he's he's ticked off a lot of the list of kind of amazing directors Definitely. And he doesn't stick to a genre either. Like, I love it when Nick Cage surprises everyone. Like, obviously, Pig came out, right? And you yeah. did that awesome series of Pig Cast, which I just loved. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I thought that was amazing, man. You did, you smashed that. But, um, yeah, people are going like, wow, this is a re- you know revolutionary, revelatory performance from Nick Cage. And I was like, did you see David Gordon Green's Joe? Because yeah, he's given exactly. us this before, you know, it, it's there if you look for it. Um, but I love that he keeps surprising people and I'm sure he'll surprise us more next. I mean, I remember hearing he was doing a Tiger King film and kind of my heart sank because I was like, that's going to be awful. But I was like, but Nick Cage is doing it, so it's going to be amazing in that way, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then I heard that fell through, so but God the, knows what will give us next. But yeah, I'm just, I'm here for it. But then it's opened up the kind of floodgates for these. There's like a couple of interesting projects like on his docket coming up there's a film called butcher's crossing which is like an adaptation of like a really revered like old novel and he's just signed up to like a western where he's got like a kind of i think it's like a degenerative mind disease and his daughter's got it as well and he's kind of taking her across the frontier to track down the people who killed her mom like killed his wife and her mum but it's again it sounds it sounds almost like in the pig vein of things where it's like it's very much set up in that that classic western format of like vengeful man but then sounds like it's got this i don't know more poetic beautiful edge to it and i'm 
I'm I'm here for wow. this this Nikonnaissance that we're getting. This kind of <laughs> yeah, like, Nikonnaissance for sure. It's yeah. He, he could have yeah. he, he could have like easily gone down the Liam Neeson route, and I, I kind of like I like that that is that pig is like the fork in the road for that almost. It's like he could have gone. This is going to be an all-out action movie. I mean, I'm going to be kicking ass, taking no names, uh, or taking names. Or, or <laughs> taking no names. names. He might not take names. He might not take names. He Doing might not no bubblegum. Yeah. Doing nothing. <laughs> I, I, I want no names. I don't even care about the names. I just want, I just want fucking vengeance. But like, yeah. he's gone, you know what? I'm going to take these films that subvert people and play about with those ideas of revenge thrillers or the Western genre or, or whatever, and I'm going to... I'm going to do it at an skewed angle. And it's like, the man's got, I don't know, for all of the shit he's made, he's got great taste every now and then. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, not even now and then, like a lot of the time. He has fantastic yeah. taste. No, I totally agree. I think you're, <laughs> you're, you're going to be on the right side of history with this podcast because, like, he's got some exciting shit coming up for sure. And, uh, yeah, you've already set up for it. <laughs> Amazing. Well... Let's kind of get on to talking about uh, Sion Sono first before we really delve into Prisoners of the Ghostland. So what was your introduction sure. to Sion Sono as a director? So I actually, for someone that's been into Asian cinema for a long time, I actually came to his stuff really late. Um, it was about four years ago. Um, so the way we used to record Sudden Double Deep was we would, I would go over to Darren and Jeanette's for the weekend um, and we would just drink, smoke, eat and record for like 48 hours straight and that would be our month's worth of content, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'd go in, I'd, I'd watched like 15 films and wrote like 100 pages of notes and we'd just do the whole thing. Um, but those two are night owls and I'm an early riser. So what would happen is, you know, it gets to like 10 p.m. and they're like, let's start another film and I'm falling asleep on the sofa. <laughs> but then in the morning, I'm up at 7 a.m. and they're asleep till 11 something. Yeah. So I used to watch whatever Daryl had. Like he had like the Arrow channel and all this stuff on his Amazon. So I used to wake up and just like go through. And I saw uh, Tag yes. was on Amazon Prime and... I didn't even know who Sono was at the time, but I was like, that film sounds mental. So I was just pressed play. And then it literally blew my mind. I don't know if you've got around to that one yet on your, I know you're, you're going through his filmography a bit now, aren't you? No, I, so I, I started to watch Tag when it was on Amazon Prime. And then like, for whatever reason, like I probably like started at like 11 o'clock at night, kind of sure. saw that like jaw dropping opening. Yeah, fell asleep and then kind of life got in the way and went to rewatch it and then it's like, you know, you do that thing you search on Amazon Prime and you're like excited like because it's not like Netflix like it comes up and you're like, yay and then you're like, it's no longer free. Fuck you, Amazon. So yeah, yeah. It, was, it was one of those situations, but like it's 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 jumped up the list since I've kind well, of. Well, I recommend you uh, drink yourself silly one night. Wake up really hungover, <laughs> make yourself a vat of coffee and press play at 7am on tag and it will <laughs> blow your mind. And I, yeah, the second it finished, Daryl and Jeanette, like they woke up a bit late and I was like, I've got to tell you about this film I just saw. <laughs> it's like, because I won't spoil it, but it has, it looks like this exploitative, like bit of nonsense. But like most of his films, it's not. It's a really powerful feminist film 
about really clever existential ideas. Uh, and it's just disguised in this schlocky mental piece of like, yeah, genre cinema. So yeah, I, I fell down the rabbit hole hard after that. And <laughs> I know when you go on Letterboxd, it kind of lists the director's films in terms of their popularity in yes. general. So I think that's like interactions on Letterboxd as well as the ratings and stuff. And I just went down from the most popular down. So he did my love exposure, the like cold fish, anti-porno, um, the suicide club, uh, strange circus, all of them basically. And now, yeah, there's not, the only ones I haven't seen are is like really obscure short films that you can't really get anywhere. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've pretty much seen them all now. And uh, he, yeah, I can hand on heart say he's one of my favorite, he's one of my favorite directors, but there's also um, a documentary about him. And the more you learn about him, he's just a, a really clever artist. He's a painter and a poet and a musician. And he's just one of those guys. He kind of does it all. He's, he's, I love him. Some of so, the bits. What like, so before yeah again before we talk about this one like what are your like yeah let's get some recommendation what are your like your kind of top three sono films that people should like should get should should, should see because it's watching this like the first time like this like much to my dismay and kind of the dismay of people listening was my first see on sono film like from start to end obviously i'd started tag but, I think that's going to be a lot of people's story. I think that really is, which but, is why it's um, amazing that he did it. I think, you know, whether you like the film or not, the fact he's done it is going to open up his work to a whole new audience. And I think, yeah, it really, it really brings back to that point I made about Cage, kind of like making these great decisions to work with directors, whether it's like a John Woo or in this case, Sion Sono to kind of like, this might not be Sion Sono's best film. You'll have to listen to find out if it is. But, like, at the same time, like, it opens up a whole world of films. Like, the guy's filmography, like, it's ridiculous. Like, what, he's yeah. one, two, like, he's, his output rivals Cage's. And, like, he's not just acting in stuff. He's writing and directing. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's not acting. He's writing and directing a whole film. And I think it's, like, something like 2015 like five films or something ridiculous like that that Sion Sono put out and it's like yeah I think he'd been on post-production on a lot of them for a while yeah yeah, yeah. um but yeah yeah for sure man yeah they the only other person that's come close is Takashi Miike who you know he's in his 70s now I think or almost and he's still pumping out about a film every year or two but there was a moment where he was doing three or four a year and it's just madness yeah <laughs> I've just got a really strong work ethic out there, you know, and the the infrastructure's there. So if you have the connections and you have the money, the funding, you just go for it, health forever. I kind of love it. I mean, it's my I've never been to Japan, um, but it's 100% on my bucket list. Um, I kind of begged my partner. I was like, should we go to holiday there one year? And she said, uh, no, but I give you my full blessing if you want to go there for like <laughs> two or three weeks by yourself. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I can handle that. So yeah, back to the point. What what are the kind of recommendations for you of like Sono films for people? Hey, well, look. I mean, it's 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 hard to recommend um, unless you know the person. I reckon 
mm-hmm. the reason I say that is there's there's a whole like breadth of what he does. So for me, I'm like I'm a fucked up person, and I love <laughs> really dark, depressing, really disturbing films. They actually make me happy. It's like a, a visceral release that I get. So, I mean, I would say like Cold Fish is is one of the go tos because it's a it's a serial killer thriller in a kind of classic sense but it's got this really dark perverse sense of humor um it's kind of based on a true story but not really there's a lot of like artistic license put in um but it's just really really dark and it'll really challenge you even if you're you're like a hard you know oh i've seen seven it's like fuck seven wait until you've seen cold fish (laughs) you wish there was a head in the box at the end you know um He's obviously Love Exposure, you mentioned earlier. That his, that's his kind of magnum opus. Mm-hmm. That's the one he's going to go down. That'll be on his gravestone, I think. Um, but again, it's got this massive barrier in the middle, and I'm not talking about subtitles. I'm talking about the fact it's four hours plus. Mm-hmm. Um, and getting someone to sit down for that long, you know, maybe you could try and do an hour a night, like some one of your shows that you binge through or something. But um, that, that it's just an amazing film. I've seen it about eight times now, and every time... I get a bit more out of it yeah. because it's you know, kind of melodramatic and kind of, um, well, yeah, like soap opera almost. But the more it develops, and again, I'm trying not to spoil anything, the, the, you won't guess the final act, basically. It just goes full-on insanity. Well, yeah, um, like, from, from, like, the moment one of that film, like, like when I first started it, I was like, oh, this is this seems a bit dour and a bit like <laughs> do you know what I mean like and kind of like because it's about like without any spoilers it's about like religion is a very like big thing of that film and I was a bit like oh boy and then like it just kind of and it's kind of what I love about a like East Asian cinema a lot of the time is there's this there's no barriers between genre it feels like it's like we can kind of like have a moment where it's like, oh, it's a martial arts movie. It's kind of like, it's a samurai. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of got all this, like, it's got this, but then the next moment, it's melodramatic. The next moment, it's funny as fuck. Like, it's like... You're absolutely right, man. That's a really good point, because I think we are so focused on putting things in a in a box yeah. here. You know, what is that film? Is it a comedy? You're like, well, it's funny, but it's also horrific. You know, that sort of thing. Whereas in Japan, and, you know, I think anime has a massive part to do with this. It's because, like, anime, people think anime is a genre of film. Oh, I don't like anime. It's like, well, no, anime is a a medium. And you could have an anime film about absolutely anything. Mm -hmm. So that really helps too. Um, Yeah, I guess it's like that that same thing of going, I don't like animation. Do you know what I mean? As as like a whole, as, as, as a blanket term. And it would be like, oh, no. I don't like blue sky films. I just don't like that that in house <laughs> animation style. It's like, but you love Pixar. It's like you get fucking like like yeah. But like, it's something about Japanese cinema, and I think it's like we'll get into this. I'm sure, but like, I think it is that like untethered nature, and yes, it's like ignorance from a Western eye. Is like it feels exotic's not the right word, but like is that is that feeling of watching the unknown that's like even more like fascinating? Do you know what I mean? Especially from like a Western perspective of like 
it's like a cult like what yeah watching something like love exposure it's like it's a culture you don't like you, you i don't know like you can't understand like just from watching a film which makes it even more kind of like yeah there's a there's an excitement in the not knowing of 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 of, of I love i love hearing you say this petros honestly <laughs> that sort of that sort of point of view though i think it's so important because i think again a lot of people do negate it because they're like i don't understand this this doesn't make sense that's not what i would do or or yeah that that character reaction doesn't make sense and i'm like it there's more to this than you're, you're seeing you know mm-hmm. that like i said it is the cultural difference but there's also different reference points um and yeah a lot of it is really heightened and you know, it, I mean, especially if you look at, say, Tag, like you mentioned the intro to that film, it's basically a bunch of schoolgirls on a bus and then this invisible wind starts coming down and cutting them all in half and she's <laughs> running away from this invisible wind that's just, you know, decimating and levelling all these girls. And uh, you just kind of think, what what the hell is going on? And then the next thing you know, they're all at school giggling, talking about some boy they fancy. And there's no... There's no link between the two where it kind of goes, what, how did that get to there? Um, yeah, so I can go on about it forever. <laughs> but I mean, look, look, just for your listeners, if you, if you are like, you know, looking to get into Sono, I'll, I'll just quickly quick fire off a few more that's worth looking into. If you're into like David Lynch and stuff like that, he did a film called Strange Circus, um, which I'm, I'm quite wary of saying anything's Lynchian because that kind of just means, oh, it's a bit weird. Yeah. But this one is kind of nightmarish in the kind of Red Room way. Uh, it's a dark history in a Laura Palmer way. It's really worth checking out. He did it, kind of his breakthrough films in 2001. It's called Suicide Club, mm-hmm. um, which is just this phenomenal piece of work about like this, yeah, like one person starts, um, oh, kills himself, and it becomes like this epidemic, and they're trying to figure out why. Um, and it's all about disillusionment in Japan in the teens, not not dissimilar to the way that um, uh, Kinji Fukusaku did with uh, Battle Royale. <laughs> Um, and he did a sequel to that called Noriko's Dinner Table, which it couldn't be further from Suicide Club in terms of its content. But the fact that it's linked thematically is just genius. Um, if you like your softer side of cinema, which I guess if you listen to a Nicolas Cage podcast, it probably isn't high on your agenda. But he's done some really beautiful family films. Like He did one called Love and Peace, which is about this failing uh, musician who befriends this little turtle that's kind of been... Uh, hit with um, radioactive, <laughs> whatever. And it turns into a kaiju film. So it's kind of like this Godzilla, but it's this really soft-hearted turtle. Um, well worth checking that one out. Or he did one called uh, The Whispering Star mm-hmm. with his wife, which is this basically a silent black and white film about a delivery robot. So if you can imagine uh, an Amazon delivery driver, but it's a robot and they just go through the outer uh, limits of space. So she will take your package for maybe like a hundred light years to get to this planet and drop it off. And again, it's just, it's just mind blowing. It's yeah. I, <laughs> I'm getting overexcited just talking, but, um, and if you're into your, um, more perverted side of stuff that he did a film called anti porno, which was, um, part of the Roman porno kind of re reimagining and, it was kind of these pink films, you know, where it, it was softcore porn with a storyline. And he decided to take it this just absolutely amazing way where it's this huge indictment on the treatment of women in the Japanese film industry and not just in porn. And it, it has a twist halfway through that blows your mind. And then the final moments are just like 
just absolutely epic. Um, and that one's actually released by Third Window. And yeah, I can't recommend that one enough. Again, it's hard to recommend it because you're basically looking at naked women for 90 minutes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's just phenomenal. And yeah, the guy's a true artist. You can't really go wrong. There's not many films of his you could pick that would be a bad place to start. Yeah, well, that was one that, like, so that was the second Sion Sono film I watched all the way through. And it very much feels like one that I'm going to have to, I, I think I met, mentioned to you in a message, like, once I'm more v- well-versed in the Sion Sono universe, like, I'll double back to, because it feels like there's a lot to unpack in a film like that. 100%, yeah. He was angry. I think he he got the offer took it and said i'm gonna fuck with these guys and <laughs> he got away with it um i've seen the other roman pornos and um that they they reinvented and they're nowhere near as good they're more base level surface level titillating you know and he really had something to say with it and yeah just genius well there's a there, there's one more Sion Sono film i wanted to mention before we get into of course, this yeah one, which the, is <laughs> yeah. why why don't you play in hell which I think if, if 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 any of his films I could see Nick Cage in of the things I've seen, it feels like Cage could be in that film, specifically as the uh, leader of the rival gang. The um, oh. you know you know the guy I'm talking about the guy who like uh, yeah yeah he 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 like Cage would be perfect in that role. Like I just think like the kind of madcap energy of like we're no longer going to dress like rockabillies. We're all going to wear kimonos and this kind of like, I don't know, somewhat dashing, somewhat threatening guy who is also like full of humor and like life. Yeah, I could like, and it's, I don't know, since watching that film, I'm like, why, what, I don't know, why wasn't Prisoners of the Ghostland? Well, bit more like I, I, <laughs> I completely get what you're saying and I do agree he, he would be interesting in that role, but, um, uh... Yeah, no, that's uh, Shinichi Susumi, and that guy is a legend, and he's part of the reason that I love that film so much. Mm-hmm. He gives it everything. Yeah. He's a guy that, you know, he works a lot with um, uh, Sabu. I don't know if you know him. He's another kind of uh, eccentric, esoteric, like Perfect. Japanese auteur. So I keep being really pretentious with these words, no, but I do no, feel no, like no. They're, they're more than just filmmakers. They are like the auteurs. Um yeah, he's so funny in that film. But ironically enough, right, so that I feel like that film is the most, like, Tarantino-ish of mm-hmm. all of his films. And actually, I think the one director I'd like to see Cage work with who he hasn't worked with yet would be Tarantino because I think that he would get something really, really interesting from him. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, And it wouldn't be that normal Cage rage kind of thing. I think he would get something really... Like, almost like John Travolta in Pulp Fiction where he got this, like, mellow surf rock kind of... Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like that. It's, uh, I'm always reminded of that thing that uh, Tarantino wanted Adam Sandler to play the bear Jew in Glorious Bastards. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And I, I, I love that idea. And like, like, oh, so I've been listening to a podcast recently called Truly Happily Madison, who are going through all of the uh, Happy Madison films. Love and it. They always mention that that fact, and I'm just like, it just gets my brain whirring going cage in a tarantino film would be amazing do you know what i mean even if it's like i don't know as this 
you could imagine ta- like Tarantino as well doing like not a not an Elvis biopic, but like so like something in that world of like like a kind I don't know almost like how he did with Once Upon a Time in uh, Hollywood with like this aging Hollywood star. Like love to see like Tarantino do. He's probably not going to because he's got one more film left. But like. I know, yeah. An, but an, an aging rock star, like a kind of in the Elvis mold or something like that. I almost don't want to think about it, though, you know? Like, <laughs> I don't want to think, what would Tarantino do with him? I just want to, I just want him to do something with him, and I want to see it. Like, I remember seeing um, Spike Jones' film, The Adaptation, yeah. and just, like, again, going, holy fuck, like, this is how... Yeah. How did he see that in him? And how did he, yeah, like, I love that. That was just the biggest, nicest, most beautiful surprise. And I want that again. I want to be completely surprised. I mean, as much as I loved Pig, and trust me, I loved it. It's my film of the year so far, if you don't count the um, the new Evangelion <laughs> that came out. But um, I wasn't, like, surprised by his performance because mm-hmm. I know Cage can do this. I've seen it in Joe. I know he's a legend. And... Uh, yeah, everyone's kept going, what the hell? Where did this yeah, come yeah. from? I'm like, no, 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 no. This is Cage. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I want to I be really surprised again. I think uh, Tarantino can do it. Perfect. Well, let's talk about Prisoners of the Ghostland, Ben. Let's do it. As I like to always do on this podcast, uh, is put it on my guest to give us a <laughs> synopsis of this film. So can you tell us what the fuck this film is about, Ben? I could try. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's funny, you know, because I, I talk about, you know, Sion, I, I call him Sion Sono, but yeah, you're right, it's Sion Sono, actually. Um, he uh, he does films that, like I said, are deeper than they appear. And I do worry with this one that I'm not sure how much depth there is more than what appears. Um, so I'd like to hear your opinion on that later. But yeah, basically, it's this uh, kind of frontier town called Samurai Town where... It's semi-modern, you know, they've got like neon signage and there's cars and stuff like that, but it's very much this old-style saloon type of dusty one-horse town kind of look. And uh, he's a bank robber (laughs) who has been arrested for robbing a bank and killing a few people and a child, uh, apparently. And he randomly gets released by this strange character called the governor played by Bill Mosley <laughs> who whose adopted granddaughter i believe it was mm-hmm. you have to forgive me i've only seen it once and it was about a week ago no, no uh, that's right yeah yeah um has has been taken uh by the again i, I don't even know the, the terminology here by by something in the ghost land, taken hostage, and she's being consumed by them. <laughs> and apparently they've heard that he's the only man that can win her back. And I don't know how he's heard that, where it's come from, but uh, yeah. So he, he gives him a suit that's made of <laughs> leather and it has um, bombs rigged at a few certain places, like his his neck um, and his testicles. <laughs> and it's, basi- it's basically if you try and touch or get angry with my daughter or my granddaughter, your throat will explode 
And if you get aroused by her and try and do anything, your your balls will explode. Yeah. And you have to get her back to me within three days, otherwise your whole shit will blow up and you're dead. <laughs> is that about it? That is about it. That is about it. So what were your initial thoughts on the film? Like what like what 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 were you kind of expecting? Obviously, like being this Sion Sono fan and kind of being a Cage fan, like did you have any expectations going into it? Yeah, I mean, how could I not, you know? <laughs> I mean, okay, the first the first thing I'll say is um I'm always wary of a an East Asian director doing their first English language film. Yep. Um, the main reason being, I think that they try to uh, westernize their voice, mm-hmm. which I think is a wrong move. I think you can make a you can make a very much Japanese film in English. Um, you don't have to make an Americanized film just because it's an American or in, in English. Sorry. Um, but the other thing is that, like, I think that the I think it's harder for for Japanese directors to direct. English language speakers, mm-hmm. and so the dialogue often comes across as quite jilted and stuttering, and it doesn't it disconnected almost. Um, like th- there are directors that do it perfectly. Like Park Chan Wook did this film called Stoker. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, it's just incredible. It's actually written by Wentworth Miller, who is one of the guys from Prison Break. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, the, the... yeah, right. Um, and obviously, John Woo is another example. He just smashes it every single time. But you also get like um, Kim Ji Woon, uh, um, who did um, I Saw the Devil, um, A Tale of Two Sisters, and all of that. He did an English language film called The Last Stand with Arnold Schwarzenegger okay. <laughs> and Johnny Knoxville. Yeah. And it's not dissimilar to this, actually. It's like he's the sheriff of this like desert town, and they've got these uh, career criminals flying through, and he has to set up this like barricade that's going to be the last stand between him and these things. And it just wasn't that great. Um, so I definitely was a bit trepidatious, but like super excited too. And I'll be honest with you, it, it pretty much was exactly what I was expecting. It was it was fun and it was wild and it was crazy. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't as exciting or clever or um I just yeah, deep as I think I've come to expect from Sono. And the ones that I love the most from him. Well, I guess one of the things to talk about on that point is obviously like this is a rare case where it's a film that isn't written by Sion Sono either, right? So this sure. is this is written by Aaron Hendry and um six oh uh Reza Six O Safai. So yeah. like do you think that has anything to play on the fact that this is isn't like this isn't your typical Sion Sono film. Definitely. I mean, so if you want a bit of background knowledge, so I, I'm friends with um, this guy, Adam Terrell, who is the, the CEO and founder of Third Window Films. Mm-hmm. They're a kind of um, producer and distributor of East Asian cinema in the UK mainly. And he's released a bunch of his films. So if you've seen Cold Fish or Tag or, or Love Exposure on Blu-ray, that, those are his um, and I asked him if he had any stories about him, and he said, uh, yeah, 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 I was there when he got Prisoners of the Ghostland. I was like, can you tell me more? And I asked <laughs> him if I could talk about it on the podcast today, and he said yes. So I'll give you the, the kind of brief one. But basically, they went, him and um, uh, Sion went to L.A. together twice, 
uh, the first time was to kind of get some inspiration for um, a film and to write a script together. Um, they came back to Japan and they had it translated into English um, and then made all these appointments with, you know, like XYZ, which is the company that produced Prisons of the Ghost End. Um, so they went back and they were pitching it all over town. And it was basically this kind of road movie serial killer film. Like, do you remember um, California with Brad Pitt and David Duchovny and um, uh, Juliette Lewis? No. And, do you remember that no, film? No, no. Sounds right up my, oh my street, gosh. though. <laughs> definitely, definitely check that one out. My Lord. But yeah, sorry. Um, so it was just kind of this road serial killer film, um, but it's quite a classic, like, throwback film, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was turned down everywhere, including XYZ. They were like, it's too old-fashioned. Everything has to be high concept these days. You know, this is not what they were looking for. Um, but while he was in that pitch meeting uh, for this, XYZ said to him, we've got this script for Prisoners of the Ghostland. Um, we'd, we'd be interested in you for. And, uh, you know, I don't think Sono was, like, super pumped for it. But at the same time, he was quite desperate to make a an English language film uh, or, 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 you know, break America, so to speak. So that's kind of where it went to. Um, so, yeah, I think it's not, it wasn't a passion project in that sense. It wasn't something that he birthed from his, his brain, but um, I'm sure he threw it all into it. And um, I'm sure you know as well all about the, the kind of problems that, that came through, right? Yeah. So obviously like this was supposed to shoot in Mexico. And it like, had it started in Mexico, and and Kate like Cage kind of had all the like they kind of him and Sionsono had these ideas of what the character of hero would be. Like Cage was very much like I want to play him like like Charles Bronson in a western. Do you know what I mean? Mm. They had these kind of uh, Sergio Leone like touch points of like the spaghetti western stuff like that, and then yeah, Sionsono had a heart attack and. I think, like, again, it's a testament to Cage. He was like, right, well, it was his idea. Let's move production to Japan then. That's it, man. Yeah, they were literally filming in Mexico. I think it was Imogen Poots instead of um, Sophia Batella, yep. and it was Ed Screen um, instead yeah. of... Um, Nick Cassavetes. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Um, and they both were like, no, we're not going to Japan. <laughs> so dropped out. But yeah, wow. And I mean, I love Cage for that. I think they got on really well and that was why he did it. But I heard about the heart attack and yeah, I was so sad and worried, man, because he's, he's, he's not that old yet, you know, and he's got a lot more in him. I'll be really interested to see what he does now after this, after this reaction. But yeah, no, so yeah, they moved it to Japan. Well, I think it's that thing of like that, that um, I don't know if it's, if it is the kind of heart attack or like the kind of like mixture like of the heart attack and like it not being one of his scripts and stuff like that but like it feels like to me there's like because i know like once it moved to japan the budget got cut like mm. and because of the health conditions like there was insurance issues i believe like that's the speculation i've heard of like it was it was quartered, right? It wasn't it like twenty million, and it went down to about five. Yeah. And that's what so I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, obviously, they're like, they yeah, like they as soon as someone has a heart attack, they're like, we can't, we 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 can't put the money we wanted to in this or whatever. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, it feels like <laughs> there are elements of this film 
missing. Do you know what I mean? Like there are kind of like there's there's a there's a tension that builds and builds and builds and builds and it's settled with a conversation and it feels like that should have been like an explosion of like energy, action and all sorts of chaos. Instead we get yeah, we get a conversation, like which is yeah. I don't know, it's kind of like more of a whimper than a bang. Well, apparently it was much longer. Um, I think Sono's cut was about two hours 20. Um, and yeah, XYZ um, cut it without his knowledge, basically. Oh, so yeah, but um, yeah, I don't know how much better uh, Sono's cut would have been, <laughs> if I'm being <laughs> honest. Well, you know, I, yeah, it's hard to explain. I, 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 I enjoy the film. You know, I'm going to watch it again. I really like, I mean, we'll get into it with Nick Cage. I thought he was awesome in it. Um, but yeah, I think out of the 20 odd films of Sonos that I've seen, this will be definitely kind of at the lower end of, of the ones that I, you know, really, really feel for. So yeah, let's kind of pick apart the film a bit and like talk about some of the key players. Like, so let's not get to Cage yet. Let's talk about Sophia Batala. Like, are you are you like how how aware were you before this and like what did you think of Sophia Batella's performance in this film? Yeah, I mean basically I've I think I've only seen her in Climax. I mean I might have seen her in something else, but I can't really remember. Um I think she played the villain in The Mummy, the Tom Cruise like terrible dark oh, really? universe film. Yeah. I don't think I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Okay. Was she good in that? I I haven't seen it. I just know she. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> um. And you know what? I thought she she was good in this. Um. I thought she had a a really poorly written character. She yeah. had nothing to do really. She was just there. She mm-hmm. was just the victim, the one that was you know locked up and then saved and then locked up again and then saved. Yeah. I. I don't know. And again, I think that, that that speaks to the language barrier maybe between the director and the actor potentially, or maybe it was just like that on paper. I don't know. I haven't read the script, but yeah, I definitely thought that there was, there was more that they could have been done with that character. Definitely. Definitely. I think like what she has got, she like, she's got this, like, I think what's great about Sophia Patella as an actor is that she's got this, mystique and like kind of like she can I know she can convey a lot with just a like a look and stuff like that you can kind of like but yeah there are moments in this and it is she is just I don't know she feels like a prop as opposed to like a, a person and that's uh, a really good way of putting it and it's yeah it, it, it is that thing of I don't know I've got I, I I've got a hot take about this film and I, I'm I, should I say it now I'm gonna fucking say it now, aren't I, Ben? Oh, um, to me, this feels like <laughs> a, a modern retelling of uh, Steven Spielberg's Hook. <laughs> right. Hear me out. Hear me out here. Right? Oh man. Okay. I mean, it's been a, it's been a minute since I've uh, revisited that one too. So 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 hear me out here. You've got like a villain who is obsessed with time. There is like a whole sequence where he is talking to one of his granddaughters, Susie, who like he makes her become a clock and like 
him and a chorus <laughs> of people all go tick tock tick tock which is like a a key scene in hook when yeah dustin hoffman has uh well what's his name da, 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 da. Who Framed Roger Rabbit stars Bob Hoskins. That's the one. <laughs> uh, Bob Hoskins is Smee. Just like, like tick-tock, tick-tock. And it like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The aesthetic of this film, like they're kind of... There's this wasteland of these white, like kind of... Uh, the, the rat man and his like kind of rat clan remind me of like Rufio and the Lost Boys. You've got this kind of land of forgotten people which feel very much like the lost boys and then you have this kind of once kind of i don't know like almost you don't get much about hero's history you get this thing that he was a bank robber but he almost feels like you get this idea that it was this robin hood-esque do you know I mean like he's this kind of like man who like has a has a heart somewhere in there even though his life has gone down this beaten track and you get that in hook as well you get that with peter pan that he's grown up and kind of disenfranchised and lost the magic of neverland and is the 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 premise of that film is he he is given three days i believe by hook to kind of get his shit together learn the way right learn the ways of being peter pan and come save his children so this is And there is a key scene in Hook when a clock comes toppling down, which is basically kind of like the final moments of this film. So I'm having this out here on record on a podcast that Prisoners of the Ghostland is a modern retelling of Hook. Thank you. Good night. Jesus Christ. You... <laughs> All right, let me done. Can I plug some stuff or? Uh, no. Wow, man. Do you know what? The more you've, you've painted a picture there and it's hard to argue against it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Maybe I should have told you to watch Hook in preparation and not, not told you what as, as for why or kind of like halfway through watching it, you would have been like, oh, shit, he's... I think I know why Petrus has made me watch Hook. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, you're right. I mean, especially all those, like, the vermin characters, like you said, you know, I'm a man. Uh, it's, um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I have to rewatch Hook now. And and we kind of, we get a moment in Prisoners of the Ghostland when Hero, like, kind of returns, and it's like people understand him to be the hero that he is mm. do you know what i mean and and then, like i'm really beating this drum about hook but like there's it all it reminded me there's a moment in in hook when the kids start grabbing like robin williams face and like pushing it back and like one of the kids is like <laughs> there you are peter like he's like kind of pushing the wrinkles back to to see the the child that once was there. And it's like, yeah, that whole thing. And uh, th- this film is littered with these kind of like orphan children, like running around and they very much like take Sophia Batella's Bernice under their wing. They're kind of like worshipping hero. And, and yeah, like, again, Hook is that thing that they all rise up together to take on Hook. And that is very much what hero's purpose is. He's this kind of like lone character comes to this place to unite the people 
rouse them up to take on the governor and samurai town. Yeah. Do you know what? I've read so many hot takes about this film and not a single person has brought up Hook before. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I've been, Do you know I, what? I've been sitting on this. I did a, I did a, I did a wee hint on Twitter because I just posted a still of Nick Cage stood in front of that clock and the clock from Hook and just kind of like put it out there, just kind of no context, just being like, Hook, 1992. Prisoners of the Ghostland, two thousand and one, and just uh, probably <laughs> about five as Prisoners of the Ghostland. Yeah. Oh man, I remember when I tweeted that I was watching the film. Uh, one of the writers, uh, Reza, I think it was, he retweeted it. So I might even try and message him and be like, "Dude, were you watching a lot of Hook when you wrote this?" I, 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 so I, fo- I, he, yeah, we follow each other, me and me and Reza. Oh, cool. So I might, uh, I might have to get him on yeah, the podcast to ask him. Just like first question, just 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 like I've been here, really like focused. So, what's your deal with Hook? Are you are you a Hook fan? Do you like Peter Pan? Do you like Steven Spielberg? Just go, just one track line <laughs> down down that line. Just leaving the breadcrumbs. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah that, that's I my, mean, like, that's my hot meant- take out of the way. You mentioned Sophie Batella, but like the other sort of the, the big English language sort of stars that aren't Nick Cage are Nick Cassavetes and Bill Mosley. <laughs> and I actually think both of them are fucking tip top in this. Yes. Um, I really enjoyed it. Like I said, the, the line delivery can be a bit stilted at times, but I think that's important because he knows it's going to be such a strong audience in Japan as well. And so if it's going to be in English, they have to have this kind of slower cadence to them. But um, Cassavetti is this like, gnarly dude in this. I loved yeah. it. Like just hamming it up and chewing the scenery like to all hell. I mean, literally at the end, he's like um, fucking the Toxic Avenger or something. Well, That's, there's uh, this for a lot of people. Like I know like a lot of people call for a Travolta and Cage reunion after Face Off. Like, for me, as like mm. a kind of like Cage fanboy, seeing that Nick Cassavetes and Cage were back on screen together, like after the kind of like gap from Face Off, because obviously, yeah, Nick yeah. Cassavetes like playing Dietrich in that. I was like, yeah, yeah, they're back together. I was like, that that that's what I was. Um, I like Ed Skrine, but I'm I'm glad he I'm glad he pulled out so we could get this reunion of two of two legends. Definitely. I can't see Scrine in it now, to be honest, if I, even if I think really hard. <laughs> but Bill Mosley, I've just got nothing but time for as well. I love him and everything. He's uh, I've yeah. got, I've got a little clip. He's of a renaissance man. I've got a clip of Bill Mosley, just because I want to like, there's something about the, his cadence and the way he speaks in this that is just fantastic. Do it. Remarkable device, isn't it? Let me point out some of its finer qualities. Each arm is equipped with an explosive device. Oh, it's protective measure. These devices are connected to a neurosensor, which can recognize the impulse of a man intending to strike a helpless woman. Should that impulse be detected, alarm will sound, and if unheeded, detonation will occur. Yo. Trousers are also equipped with explosives. One at each testicule. <laughs> 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 
金玉。Really? I would have my Benice returned to me unsoiled, sir. So best mind your manners. That's like he's just got this way of speaking. Like it's I I don't know. I find like. It just turns of phrases. I think there's like a line delivery. I can't remember the exact line, but it's like he kind of it really like tiptoes off his tongue in just a way that it's like he he, he plays sleaze perfectly, Bill Mosley, right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, he's he's most well known now for like the Rob Zombie films, right? Yeah, so mainly he's, he's kind of got this. I don't know. He even though uh, I imagine he's a well kept man, but like he's like he he can he can. I don't know, there's a sheen of grease about him that, like, that, like it's perfect. It's perfect. Grease is the word. <laughs> um, I just love, so uh, you mentioned it before, but um, Tak Sakaguchi is in this film oh. uh, as his kind of, like, right-hand man. And every time he has to call for him, I just was grinning ear to ear. He's like, Yasujiro! <laughs> Yasujiro! Uh, it was just brilliant. So let's, yeah, let's, let's talk about Tak Sakaguchi because he, like, what he gets minimal lines in this film but like talk about like yeah an actor who i don't know like can emote so much with with his face but like i don't know, it almost feels a disservice that he doesn't do you know what i mean like it feels like the the yeah. east asian actors are, are sidelined a lot in this film like which i don't know it kind of feels i think it's bit... hard again i think uh, you know I, a lot of Japanese actors do speak English, yes. but I don't think it's as common as you'd think. And I think Tak is probably one that hasn't, you know, got a massive um, English vocabulary. So there, there might have been that barrier. But yeah, he's such a good-looking guy, and he's such a, a weapon with his like martial arts abilities. Like, have you seen uh, Versus? No. Um, that's like his big kind of calling card is this uh, Riri Kitamura film where he's like, he's a samurai, <laughs> but it's like a time travel film as well. It's almost like Highlander um, where it's kind of like he's a samurai, but with zombies and monsters and it's, it's utterly batshit, but it's fantastic. And he's so good in it, but he's a bit of a motor mouth as well. It's almost like, um, Kurt Russell in Big Trouble in Little China, you know, that kind of character. Um, so, yeah, the guy has range and talent. Um, he's just not really used that well here. Mm-hmm. That being said, as you said, though, like, he he does have massive presence. He does a lot with just a look. Yeah. So props for that. The thing is, like, he kind of, he gets this, like, B plot, more like C plot almost, that gets gets brought in, like, maybe around the hour mark and then is like it's not much really done with it you get this whole thing of like his relationship with his sister and i was i think that got that got cut in the in the fuck around i think there was definitely more to that relationship than we saw i mean you gotta think right otherwise that's just really sloppy writing (laughs) yeah yeah because it kind of it, it kind of just is announced and then like you get that kind of one scene where which obviously like it, 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 yeah, it feels like it's an editing thing. So, like, we can't cut this whole storyline out because we filmed this really cool action sequence of him kind of confronting the guys who are kind of trying to accost his sister. But at the same time, like, it's, yeah, brought in around the hour mark and then it's dropped almost immediately. And it's, 
it feels like I don't know they needed to signpost that he is he is waning his his kind of allegiances to the governor, right? Yeah, exactly. And I kept waiting and waiting for this like epic showdown, which we do kind of get in the form of his sword fight with Nick at the end, where <laughs> Nick's got, got a, a sword as on in replacing his hand. It's like a bloody stump after it exploded. Yeah. Um and then it kind of isn't that big of a showdown, is it really? Like it's, yeah, it's a well, couple of hits and he he then destroys this legendary samurai in one hit. Well we get that we get that moment where like it, we get that great moment of comedy from it when um um yeah uh, he kicks he kicks Cage's character in the nuts. And like the kind <laughs> yeah, of sound sure. design for it, you get like a kind of like almost like a pinballed like couple of dings, and then like I think like Cage is like really just like this kind of like like, yeah, <laughs> like and well yeah should we talk should we talk about Cage? Let's talk about Cage in this film. What did you think why of not? Nick Cage? Why not? Yeah, I loved him. I thought he was great. I mean, you could tell he was having a blast. Um, I thought when he first gets out of, sorry, to, I've just realised the the wordplay, but when he gets out of that cage for the first time, uh, he's ripped as fuck in this film, man. He's yeah. like, he's hench. I was like, I I was not expecting that. I thought he was just going to hide underneath the leather for the whole film. Um, but yeah, he's ripped out. And uh, we get some really funny moments from him. I mean, the scene where his testicle blows up, I've I've rewound and watched that about five times now, and every time I have a tear in my eye <laughs> from laughter because he kind of gallops around like he's on a horse. Well, yeah, I've I've, I've got that I've got that to play, which I think oh, translates great. well, even in audio. I want that as my ringtone. It's perfect. It's, uh, yeah, it would make a perfect kind of text tone. Oh, <laughs> it's like, uh, and that is that is preceded by this kind of like him kind of singing to Bernice about like get like taking off her clothes, and we get another. Yeah, I've just got some clips of some great cage line delivery, and this is yeah, this is all about a scar that Bernice has on her leg. Oh, that's quite. A- Scar you got there. You did that roller skating? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Take it off. <laughs> I think that that just shows the fun that Cage was having. Just this kind of like, I don't know, just throwing in those eccentricities, like the kind of like, woo, and stuff like that. Just really like show you like how much fun he was having. Like, here's another clip for you, just because for any old. Uh, Deadfall fans, you might recognise uh, this 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 line. Yeah, obviously that. Oh uh, fucking yeah! Yeah, which is like yeah, great. amazing. What does he say? He says that to one guy at one point. I'll karate chop you! I'll karate chop <laughs> every one of you! And uh, yeah, yeah, like there's a scene where he's getting overrun by those zombies. And he's like, stop touching me! Yeah. Stop touching me! Get off me! And I'm like, they're not going to listen to you, Nick. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, you can tell Sion hired him for a reason. Cage took the project for a reason. 
you know, I think they got on like a house on fire. And I think you could just tell that, you know, Cage was let free to do what he wanted. Sion just kind of like wrangled him. Yeah, I th- I think his choices were perfect. I don't think there's anything wrong with this film that has to do with Nick Cage, personally. Well, one of the things, like, I think the way I would describe this to people is it is, it's Sion Sono directing a Nicolas Cage film as opposed to Nicolas Cage being in a Sion Sono film. I think yeah, that's, that's, 100%. that's the way that, like, I think you can succinctly kind of put it like if you if someone's a Sion Sono fan be like well don't expect do you know what I mean don't expect uh why don't you play in hell or even like a love expo like don't expect those kind of films it's uh, yeah I don't know it is it's, it's, it's a weird one it's a weird like and it's the thing like I feel like I'm being down on it I did I, I I did enjoy it there's a lot to enjoy in this film there's a lot to kind of love but like since like delving back into the Sion Sono like well mm. it's kind of like you know yeah. there's you know there could have been something else I think there. the way you really it's really important to think about it um just to kind of temper your expectations if you haven't seen it although I suppose everyone listening will have seen it who knows mostly but um if you think so do you remember the Jonas Ackerland film we did Lords of Chaos Yes. about those the bank killings in yeah that uh sono was attached to that project for over a year wow. he was developing that film and um he had a really rough ride with it it was going to be his first english language film and it all got it all got fucked up and he got muscled out and all sorts right so if you think about that and then he wrote this script with adam that he pitched all over town and then just got rejected everywhere and then he finally got this this script that they were like, we'll let you do this. And all he wanted to do was make an English language film. And then when you're on production of it, you have a heart attack and you yeah. lose your stars and you have to move to Japan. Like, I I don't know. I don't know if you've ever tried to make a film, but, um, I, you know, I've, I've written a few scripts in my time. I used to, back in the day, I went to, you know, I did film school and stuff and I tried a bit. It's tough as nails, man. So any film getting made is a miracle in itself. Yeah. Um, but I think this one had a lot of problems. And, you know, the fact that we got a semi-coherent and really enjoyable um, piece of kind of genre cinema is is enough for me. I was I was hoping for a bit more, but like you said, I mean, we're talking quite down on that. I, I had a really good time with it. And I guarantee if you and I ever get to meet in person, we could have a few beers and sit down and watch it and we'll just laugh <laughs> our ass off the whole way through and just have a really good time with it, you know? Definitely. And uh, I, don't, I, I should probably get hot take number two um, out on the table. <laughs> okay. Which is, this is a spiritual sequel to The Wicker Man. What do you what do you what do you make of that? What do you make of that? Uh, make of that uh, I mean, there's significantly less bees. Yeah, so I think, but um, but it does also have Nicolas Cage wandering around uh, a place that he, he <laughs> like uh, a a land full of un, unfamiliar faces with a photo of a girl being like, "Have you seen this girl? Have you seen this girl? Have you seen this girl?" <laughs> It, yeah, all, it, it also have, uh, has Nicolas Cage commandeering a bike, yes, which is also in The Wicker Man. 
And that and is what actually. Oh, sorry. Here is a quote from Nicolas Cage when he wanted to do a sequel to The Wicker Man, where he says, "I would like to hook up with one of those Japanese filmmakers, like the hook masters up. that made <laughs> Ringo, and take The Wicker Man to Japan. Except this time, he's a ghost." Oh wow. We've blown it out of the fucking park here. Like, the, the case is wide open, Ben. Jesus, man. Where did you get that quote from? That is from, <laughs> that is from Empire. Wow. I mean, oh, yeah, I mean, that, that is interesting. Although I would love to see Hideo Nakata do a Wicker Man sequel with Nick Cage. Genuinely, that would be kind of amazing. Um, but Yeah, wow. But that that like I it, for me it feels like for Cage like for him it's like I'm kind of living that dream somewhat through like a kind of like a different route. Do you know what I mean? Like I kind of I got to I got yeah, to yeah, work yeah. with one of the Japanese masters. I got to make this kind of like film that I don't know has similarities in a way. It is about a guy who has no relations to to the to the person he's looking for in any way, but he's kind of put upon this mission to find them. And everyone, no matter if it's kind of friend or foe, throughout the journey seems to be against him. <laughs> and he's Amazing. Like, on like yeah, a, no, he, on he killed two birds with one stone, didn't he? he? Yeah, he got his sequel and he, yeah, he had his druthers too. That's uh, amazing. <laughs> Do you know what, as well, I was looking up trivia for the film because that's what I used to do on Sun Double Deep all the time. I was always my little bit. I was like, oh, I've got a bit of trivia here. Well, well actually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Apparently Cage met his fifth wife on the set of this film. Yeah. So he's now married to, it doesn't say who the um, lucky lady is, but... Um, Her name is... Um, uh, I... It's like R- uh, Rico, I think her first name is. I'm not sure about the surname. I guess it's Cage now because they're actually married. So. She's, she's Japanese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I so. mean, yeah. So uh, that's the sort of thing I love to hear. Like Ryan Reynolds is like, you know, when people talk about the Green Lantern, he's like, I met, um, I'm blanking her name now. Blake <laughs> His partner. Blake Lively? <laughs> Thank you. I met Blake on that film, so I don't give a fuck what any of you think. It was the best decision I ever made in my life. Are you like, yeah, fair play. <laughs> yeah, you can't say fairer than that, can you? If you meet the love of your life on a on a film. It's so, so yeah, like, and there's a great story about apparently Nicolas Cage proposed to her over FaceTime <laughs> and, and FedExed her the engagement ring, which, like... <laughs> Couldn't be a more uh, like Nicolas Cage move if you if you'd asked for it. So, um, as was, I think they're going to go the long way. I think they're going to last personally. I, I, I think fifth so. times the chance. <laughs> so, can I just go back before we move on though? Can yeah. I just go back to that bike scene because that bike scene cracked me up so much. Yeah, yeah. Where Tack basically gives him this like super powered like Mad Max style motor. And he's like, fuck that. And he just gets this little bicycle with a little bell and a basket on it and just starts cycling off into the desert. <laughs> and oh. the, I love their exchange when, like, he turns up with the car, which is this. Not much time, huh? 
All right. <laughs> All right. You get that? You get, uh, it, that's what that 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 is the thing in this film is there are moments of just kind of like surrealist humor, and I guess it is that thing of like tempering your expectations of what to expect with this film because it it very much does play in the kind of japanese sandbox or like east east asian sandbox of like filmmaking where it's kind of like genres not really on the table it kind of and like kind of overtly plays with that as well because obviously like the imagery itself is east mm. against west like you've kind of got this frontier town that is populated with cowboys and samurais simultaneously so like it, the film and the like i think like i guess if this film had time to re like given the full Sion sono treatment would be able to explore the kind of themes that are kind of are there slightly i think like i think there are yeah, kind of sure. there are there are themes about like kind of um imperialism and the kind of cult of personality and almost like feels like a uh a kind of critique on american culture in a way because obviously like the governor is this kind of ruler of this town who seems to be all personality and not much else do you know what i mean he's all kind of flash and pomp and stuff like and that. money yeah and money yeah. He, he is like I, I i hate to say his name but he's he's the 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 um the guy in yeah. home alone 2 who shows kevin yep. McAllister to the foyer like uh but like yeah and it it deals with that and it deals with um w w weirdly like kind of deals with like the 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 japanese kind of feelings of what happened the after hiroshima and kind of like the kind of ghost that that has left over japan as a country and like kind of obviously how america is to blame for that do you know what i mean you kind of got this got this american hero like in quotes like and like he he's the one who says like i am radioactive and it's very much like the actions that he he was involved in whether like not he was the one who killed those those people in the bank is the guy he was with kind of had this knock-on effect that they like had that do you know what I mean like if psycho wasn't arrested maybe that uh convoy that police like van wouldn't have crashed and exploded and blew up the nuclear power plant and stuff like that so it very much feels like it's playing with that kind of whole thing of like americans involvement and kind of what they did to japan as well i mean that again i think that's a really well argued point um <laughs> i think it's interesting that there's there's two non-japanese writers um writing about that because i mean um sono has kind of tackled that he didn't tackle um hiroshima like directly but he did a film called the land of hope which was about the earthquakes and yeah. um you know tokyo trying to rebuild after that and yeah so he definitely he's, he's he's politically minded he's definitely anti-establishment so that that would ring true um yeah i think you know coming from film school background you can argue the 
depth of cinema in everything, really. Um, I think that's awesome that you got that from it. Well, I'm just saying, like, that is that, that is there if you like, and that is me, like, really trying to almost, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, pull it out. Do you know what I mean? Pull it, yeah. like, pu- pull it out of that. And, like, <laughs> a lot of that was kind of stream of consciousness going, like, this guy kind of got this, and, like, let's see, let's, let's hear it for a logical conclusion. But, like, that's what I mean. If it had, because I, 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 I can only imagine that Sian Sainu would have kind of had like a pass at the script, like, mm. after, do you know what I mean? At least tried to put a bit of himself <laughs> in there, especially once sure. he moved to Japan, like, and mm. for whatever reasons, whether it's WGA rules or whatever, couldn't like be credited as a writer or whatever. But at least, like, I reckon, especially like, yeah, once they. Once they made that move to Japan, there must there must have been some other stuff that would have made more sense with the setting than it would have. If we done. talk about his involvement in it, though, I mean, I think the film looks incredible. Oh, I yes. think he his his use of frame and the set design and the costumes and you know the colorization and all of that. It's so lush and it's so beautiful. Um, yeah, so I couldn't fault it in that sense. And I was very much like when I was watching it, you know, just more enthralled by the general aesthetic of it um, than the content. And I hate to say that, but I, I am more of a visual guy than I kind of... I I can forgive a story more than I can forgive, like, <laughs> crap filmmaking. Um, so, yeah, I was happy that it looked, it looked great. It sounded great. Um, Oh, the, yeah, the, I guess it just wasn't looking for depth. The the the, the score by Joseph uh, Trapanese is amazing. Yeah, right? it's beautiful, isn't it? It's kind of really emotive of like a Sergio Le- Leone's like score. Um, yeah, Sergio. No, yeah, uh, yeah. Who am I? Oh no, um, Ernie <laughs> Morricone. Morricone. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like yeah, um, yeah, director. Get the composer's name right, uh, but like <laughs> it kind of had re- like you could see those you could see those touch points, but like it felt distant enough that it kind of I don't know like there's yeah there there, there is a lot to love in this, and I'm kind of like I, I I'm excited to watch it more and more, and kind of like I don't know, you've just... seen the general consensus though, right? Like people haven't loved it. And I think, I mean, one of our mutuals on Twitter, you put out uh, a tweet kind of saying, has anyone got any questions or comments for us for the recording? Um, Pedro Perez, who I really like him a lot. He's he's always got some interesting stuff to say. He just put, it's too crazy for the average moviegoer and not crazy enough for solo fans. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's kind of perfectly describes how I feel about it. I think it's like diluted Sono, but I think people like my sister is going to watch this and go, what the actual fuck? Yeah. I can't watch this, you know? So I don't know who it's for exactly. Um, <laughs> and I don't think it's found its audience massively. If you look at the general consensus on Letterboxd, it's, it's middle to low range, I think. So I got, <laughs> I got a message from a previous guest and mutual friend of ours, Becky Dark, uh, once she saw it at Fright Fest, who said, yeah. um, high fucking yard, epic, bold, idiosyncratic but accessible entertaining and nevertheless gorgeous to look at definitely horrid tinge with some nightmarish imagery and decent gore plus it's always a treat to see sophia batella it's paprika oh. meets true grit meets 
the holy mounting meets Mandy and everything I wanted from a film where Sion Sono met Nicolas Cage. Wow. I mean, I love, I love, no, I love hearing that as well. I mean, I will never shit on someone's chips because, you know, oh, you're wrong for liking it. I think that's, that's amazing. That's the, I wish I had that reaction. (laughs) I'd like, I like, I do see some of those touch points. Like I can kind of see this, the the kind of holy mountain aspect of the holy mountain for sure. As soon as you said that, I was like, yeah, 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 I can see that. Yeah. It's kind of got this, especially the whole thing of like this, this idea. Yeah. it feels like there's a there's a big thing of cults in this whether it's the cult of the the prisoners in the ghost land it's the cult of samurai town do you know what i mean like everyone's kind of like mm. in this kind of brainwashed state of like being like and they're just oh, i'm stuck in what i'm doing and I'll, I'll just do it anyway and like yeah that's something that i guess but yeah the holy mountain deals with cults and all that <laughs> shit I love Becky and I think she has impeccable taste. So yeah, I love that take. And I think I I didn't, I had to wait for home viewing. So I know you went to Fright Fest to see it, didn't you? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I unfortunately I couldn't, my daughter was ill, I couldn't get away. So I had to wait for home viewing. Um, so yeah, watching it on my laptop probably wasn't the like best way of experiencing this film. Oh, I, I, so, yeah. I saw it on like, a massive screen, but like I didn't realize at the Sydney uh, World Leicester Square, like how close the seats were to the screen. So I was in like <laughs> row D and like, watched the film with my neck cricked up, like kind of having to scroll anytime there were subtitles on screen because I was just like, I'm I'm too close. Like and, and kind of I kind of got more watching it a second time plus at fright fest i i got over excited and drank one too many beers so i was probably <laughs> half cut by the time credits like the yeah, opening credits opened yeah i <laughs> i used to um be a, a film reviewer on a local radio station here in cambridge um and <laughs> one night i went to see train spot in t2 um and I don't know why I think on that, because normally I'd have a couple beers and go see a film would be fine. I don't know why on that particular night I got so leathered <laughs> that when I was in the, I was in the film going like, Oh my gosh, like I'm really drunk. And I, I woke up the next morning to go to the radio station to record the, <laughs> I couldn't remember anything about the film, like literally. So they were asking me all these questions. I was like, um, it was good. It wasn't as good as the first, I don't think, but you know, the music was great and I, yeah, I had nothing to say. I, I felt awful. And then I rewatched it sober, like when it came out on home release and loved it. And, yeah. <laughs> Can I but go yeah, back? Anyway. It's better than the first. <laughs> it's better than the first. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, amazing. So yeah, like, is there any scenes or anything that we've kind of not touched upon that you feel like we kind of should yes. shine a light on? Definitely. Actually. Um, one of my favorite scenes and one of the creepiest scenes for me is the human mannequins. Um, you know, it's kind of touched upon why they're why they're in there because they can't talk. They're like consumed by this force mm-hmm. within the ghost land, and they're covered in. They look like mannequins, but they're cracked, and you can kind of peel it off, almost like skin. Uh, and yeah, Cage is like taking bits off, and he's like looking in their eyes or at their nose and trying to find where this girl is. And Butella's at the end, and 
yeah, it just really creeped me out. I thought it was really well done. It was it was dark and scary, and I didn't know where it was going to go. You know, I really really enjoyed that part. I wish we kind of like got. I don't know. I kind of wish this had been able to sit in sit in those moments a bit more. Do you know what I mean? Like kind mm. of really leaned into that unsettling nature and kind of like because he basically turns up to the ghost land and finds Bernice in a matter of minutes, right? Straight away. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> Yeah. That kind of like push and pull a man who's kind of like a villain wherever he goes. I think would have been like a more interesting way to take this story and that thing of like, mm. do you know what I mean? Like he knows, he knows in his heart of hearts or whatever that like he didn't do the things that he's like accused of. Do you know what I mean? Like that was psycho, like Nick Cassavetti's character. But like that kind of like, we like, yeah, it would have been cool that the audience know that or whatever, but then like mm. wherever he, like, yeah, he's like a Clint Eastwood man with no, do you know what I mean? Like whatever whatever saloon, whatever town he turns up in, he's like enemy number one. Like, which, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it, I think it would have, it would have, it would have benefited kind of leaning more into the, the Western tropes almost, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Actually. I think, I think I would have preferred a more Western approach in that sense, like not Western as in American, but Western as in the genre um, or going the other way and being more horror focused. Yeah. Like the zombie scene where they're overrun by zombies, it felt very, it was almost like action oriented rather than horror oriented. Well, yeah, like it, it wasn't, it wasn't really scary or tense. It was more just like a punch up, like a John Wick style fight or something, you know? Yeah. It looked like a dance sequence almost. The way they like yeah. moved about, they looked very much like dancers, like kind of crawling about and stuff like that. And I, it is that thing that like those those scenes like they don't they don't amount to, they don't they kind of like it's constantly like cages being knocked out throughout this film having dreams and then waking up and it's like cool if we can really like delve into these dreams and really go like fucking cuckoo bananas full see on stone and like I've this is in my notes I've I've got to say it like. This film, for the setting it's in, for the fact that it's, mm. it's in a fantastical and like otherworldly setting, doesn't feel as fantastical and otherworldly as other Seal yeah. films, which are like based in the real world. And I think like Love Exposure is a perfect example. Like, and, and yeah. again, it might come back to the fact that it's like an ignorant Western eye than the fact that. <laughs> it's japan it's it's over there it's like it, it it has it has a an element of the other anyway but at the same time like you feel like even in japanese culture the things that are like the the way that life is portrayed and the way that kind of like do you know what I mean like a guy becoming a kind of i don't know like famous panty peekaboo uh, do you know what I mean? Like, like photo taker is like, is not the norm. Uh, but like, yeah. that feel that feels very fantastical and otherworldly. But at the same time, is grounded in the real, in the real world. And I'm not sure whether it is that thing that this is hamstrung by the fact that it is. I don't know. Like, it is a west. It, it is it is a kind of it is an American film first and foremost. 
I think if you you and I were going to have a night on the town, right, and we had 200 quid, it would be a significantly better and crazier night than if we had 50 quid, right? Mm. And that's basically what happened with this film. It, it was supposed to have 20 mil and it ended up with five and it had to move location halfway through. So, yeah, I think, yeah, best intentions, but it all kind of fell apart. And again, sorry, I, I, you're right. I keep getting to the, the negative of it. Like, we should be more celebrating what worked about it because it, yeah, that, it was that feels under like it's me. Sorry, I feel like I'm. No, no, I'm, no, not at all. I'm definitely the same. Definitely the same. I think, yeah, I, I need to watch it again, um, preferably with someone like yourself. Or I might try. I don't know if Daryl and Jeanette have seen it yet. I'm going over there in a couple of weeks. I might try and get them to watch it with us. I, I so I got I got um I got a message from Jeanette. Uh, shout out uh, Jeanette um, <laughs> she messaged me being like I think I'm, I think I'm gonna love this film because I went I went on sudden double deep and talked about Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse the Wicker Man and Mandy and yeah. Uh, yeah, they I broke think, the rules for you didn't they yeah I think Amazing. it was look well, I did say there are enough man films in Cage's back catalogue to do sure. a triple bill of man films but like they were like no we'll do mandy but uh um jeanette and me were very much on the same page about mandy like like both matt and daryl were lukewarm to kind of disliking it like whereas i watched mandy with daryl and he was yeah kind of like meh i loved it it was five star masterpiece to me but yeah but it's like and yeah i kind of got this message being like Oh yeah, I, I like. She was like, "I'm gonna have to see it," and it's like that thing. I'm like, I just like it's the thing. I don't want to. I don't want to discourage anyone from seeing this film because, if anything, and I think like this is a, this is probably like before we get into kind of closing statements on this film is for me. Even if this is a gateway to more Seanseno films, that's a reason enough to watch it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, if this is going to be, if this is going to open your eyes to be like, oh, I saw something in that. I'm not sure what it was, but what was that? What was that amazing, like, vanity card you see at the front? Do you know what I mean? That kind of like scrawled name at the front. Like, who is that guy? Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. Sion Sona has that amazing, like, kind of card that comes up every time one of his films yeah, yeah, that kind yeah. of looks like well because that's that's his art man yeah. like again if you've seen anything from Takeshi Kitano he puts a lot of his paintings in his films but um yeah Sono likes to do these massive prints and then just throws them in there uh I love that about him too and yeah you'll see in well yeah you're going through his filmography especially if you get into some of the older stuff it's so much cruder and crazier yeah uh yeah it's so gnarly I think I do like this kind of go for broke side of Sono. Like he he definitely kind of went out of his comfort zone and went a bit crazy here. Um, but ultimately he's always at his best when he's writing his own screenplays, you know, and seeing him through to the end. Um, like, so the film he did just before this is a film called uh, Red Post on Escher Street. And if you like Love Exposure, I cannot recommend it enough. It's like very similar look and feel it's only two hours, so it's uh, <laughs> a lot more, lot more manageable. But it's an incredible piece of work. It's got so much to say about the Japanese film industry. Um, it has a lot about like grief, 
um, and like existentialism, you know, why we're here on the planet. Um, but the red post on Nesha Street that the title is about is this one uh, post box that all these actresses are putting their resume through to try and get um, their place in his new film. And it kind of shows their lives. And so whilst you see the one girl that gets the role, you also follow the girls that don't Amazing. and how much that affects them and like rolls on. And it's just fantastic. And yeah, if you saw these two back to back, you'd be like, that's not the same director. <laughs> um, it's just amazing. So yeah, like you said, I hope this is many people's first Sino film and I hope they go, Jesus, I want to see what else he's done. And it just gets better from there. Basically, you know, the only way is up. Amazing. So, um, I like to round off these episodes by asking some very trivial questions, but they tell us something about Nicholas Cage. So, um, does Nick Cage have bad hair in this film? <laughs> I wouldn't say bad hair, no. No, he's, he's very, uh, pretty, pretty yeah. groomed. He's looking quite handsome. I, I really love that scene um, when there's the girl doing the sketch of him and then, yes. like, he takes off his kind of, like, nappy and then, like, she, <laughs> she rubs out and then we get that great, we get that great bit of humour where it, like, cuts away to uh, another girl who says, like, I've seen bigger. And it's yeah, like, yeah. I, those tiny moments are, are, are fantastic. But yeah, Cage is, Cage is looking, he's looking sexy in this film. I've got, I got to give him that. He looks sexy. I think that was, yeah, they were going for that, weren't they? They wanted him to be the big, tall, broad, yeah. um, muscular, strong American man. Yeah. He looks, yeah. he looks good. Something that um, Cage is known for, maybe not so much these days, but I guess like kind of, in the in the eighties, and he's kind of pulled it out from time to time. If you saw Southern Fury, or I think it's called Arsenal in this country, um, yeah, I didn't see that one. He does a crazy voice in that film, but does he do a crazy voice in Prisoners of the Ghostland? I don't think he does his normal voice. I think he definitely puts an like, affectation on it. Yeah, but I wouldn't say it was crazy. It's recognizable very much, but. Yeah, let, let's have a, let's have another little dose of his voice for you guys, in case you forgot. Possible? Ha! If you had told me three days ago I'd be standing here with one arm and one testicle, trying to reason with you, <laughs> bitches, I would have said impossible too. But I'm telling you, there's a way. There is no way. Like, yeah, that is. That, that, who else could deliver? Who else could mangle the word testicle and make it sound so great? Right. I love that Bill and Nick got a chance to use the word testicle in yeah. their own way. Uh, yeah, brilliant. yeah. They, they they both they both say it in a complete different way as well. <laughs> testicle. Yeah. Testicle. Yeah. Um, I think that clip just answers your next question, right? Yeah. Does Cage freak out in this film? Yeah, he does. He gets pissed off when he loses his ball. The, the the nut coming off i think like i think he's kind of like on the edge of freaking out throughout the film right yeah but he's also got this weird stoic calm as well it's it is a weird mm -hmm. it, it's hard to pin down but yeah definitely he's on the precipice of a cage out at any time what what i love about this film is the fact that like i have a thing on this podcast where it's like earned freak outs and it's kind of like if you were put in that situation of course you'd sure. fucking be freaking out. Do you know what I mean? It's like, 
and the the go to the go to scene, I think, and I think unrightfully is put in this kind of thing of being like, oh, isn't that kind of this cage wigging out? Is is the Mandy bathroom scene, and that yeah. is like the, I think that's what like spawned the whole thing of me going like, no, there's earned freakouts. That is very much like a a freakout where you go. You you watch the love of your life be burned alive, and then yeah, and, and, and drink then a bottle not, of vodka. <laughs> yeah, drink a bottle of vodka and scream in a bathroom. Yeah, in your pants. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. So, I think that's fair, and I think this is an earned one for sure. <laughs> yeah, I like I said, yeah, that that scene where he's galloping after his ball explodes is one of the funniest thing. I think it will go down as my favorite scene of the year, probably. <laughs> And the fact that, like, this film literally has the balls to show us him holding his, like, blown-off testicle as well. It's like, I think that's that's worth your price of admission alone. (laughs) Although it's still intact, basically, isn't it? It's like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not exploded. It's just, like, a testicle that's no longer connected to his body. (laughs) Yeah. Logic is out the window, but it all makes sense. So, um... Very good. Is Nick Cage the greatest actor of all time, Ben? He's certainly one of, if not the most interesting. Um, <laughs> and I know that's always a bit of a funny word. Like if if I tell my partner that the dinner she cooked was interesting, it's not a good thing. That, but yeah, that that is that is like the any time I've ever like been like to my parents, like oh, you really need to watch this film. At the end of it, they go, oh, that was interesting. And like, <laughs> yeah. like I, I revert to a teenage boy. Do you know what I mean? Like, of being like, you guys don't understand me. Yeah, there's not many actors that I will instantly perk up my ears when I hear there's a new project from them. Yeah. Um, but Nick Cage is definitely one of them, just because I just want to see what the guy is interested in next. Um, I think he's so, yeah, like I said, he's interesting, really interesting. I don't know if he's the greatest actor. <laughs> Do you think so? Um, I'm still undecided. Uh, okay. I, that's why I said they're very flippant questions. And it's like, yeah, sure. it's almost not my, not my place to answer that question. Maybe like once like he leaves this mortal plane, like whenever that will be. I know he's recently stated in an interview that he will keep acting until that day there's no retiring yeah i love that so that then i feel like i can pass judgment in the meantime i'm just a a conduit to get other people's opinions and kind of correlate that information i've got nothing but respect for the guy honestly (laughs) um and the fact that he's had such a long career i mean and also i mean just to, I know that he's there's rumors of he's been a bit crazy and he's done some really insane stuff, but I mean, as soon as that Me Too movement started, right, I was just waiting for the Nick Cage stuff to come out, you know, because he just seems like the sort of guy that would be on the wrong end of of that, and you know, so far, I mean, yeah, I like knows, that's but, the thing, like that, like that all started, like that all kind of like became a big push like the me too movement in the early days of this podcast and i think there's jokes on or like do you know what I mean like me referencing it being like or i probably said it privately being like i might have picked the wrong actor to do a podcast about like if this all like this could all go tits <laughs> up in like in no time or whatever but like i think i don't know like i don't know much about him personally and i'm kind of i'm kind of glad about that i think like he is 
here's a remnant of something that we've lost in Hollywood of this kind of like, you know what you need to know about him, but like what you do know about him is he seems like a decent guy who mm. respects his own privacy. He re- like he kind of like he seems really cordial when people meet him. He seems like, do you know what I mean? Like he he doesn't take himself too seriously. Yeah, you know, like um, there's that I, I forget what they call it, but it's like the Cage Festival or whatever. He turns up to that right every year. Yeah, he turned up to a, a Nick Cage festival and like read an excerpt from like Edgar Allan Poe or something like that, <laughs> which sounds of course he did. Sounds absolutely batshit mental. And like every like, I've had the fortunate, uh, I've been fortunate enough to speak to people who worked with him, and everyone has said like how professional he is. Like he'll come to set with like script notes knowing the script back to front knowing his lines knowing other people's lines kind of like going like i thought this and that of the character and that's that's on a film that might be 20 million dollars but that will still be the the case if it's a film that costs three million dollars so like sure yeah 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 the, the guy is yeah the guy's a professional and like totally respects the craft yeah yeah nothing but love for him like i could say i was so happy when you messaged me to say, dude, in about a year's time, <laughs> you could come on the show. I'm saving the Sono one for you. And yeah. And it just kept getting delayed and all sorts of stuff, but I'm so happy to be here and yeah. Chatting about it. It's been, it's been awesome. Well, no, thank you, Ben. This is like, I've, um, yeah, I've, I'm, 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 I've been a massive fan of Sudden Double Deep for a while. I've, uh, like listen to the archive episodes and stuff like that as much as i love matt i, I, I love your episodes equally as much and like oh bless you <laughs> i miss it so much man i really do and i'm almost at the point now where i could potentially maybe start thinking about going back but then it's just too much like pissing on matt's chips you know, he's in there now but yeah i mean i've got i've got a new one coming up that i'm really excited about that obviously we'll probably get to in a bit but yeah so I uh, yeah, I'm not out of the podcasting game for good. This is the perfect time for plugs. Plug plug your wares. Sell us your wares, Ben. Okay, well it's it's a bit ethereal at the moment because it doesn't actually exist yet, but it is coming soon. And uh yeah, the um the guy I keep talking about, Adam Terrell, who does uh, runs Third Window. Him and I have built up a relationship over the last year or so where um I just love his films and he loves talking about his films and we had these mad like you know, um, Zoom conversations and text threads. And one day I was just like, man, have you ever thought about doing a podcast? And he said, I would love to, but I haven't got the kind of get up and go to do it all. And I said, well, would you want to do it with me? And he was like, 100%, let's do it. And that was it. And I was like, right, okay. (laughs) So coming soon, we have the third Window Films podcast. Um, And the premise is it's the celebration of all things third Window Films, from the perspective of the fan being me and the man being Adam. And so he tells stories about his experiences in the Japanese film industry. He's, he's produced films. He's been obviously on the distribution side of things for a long, long time. Um, he's worked with pretty much every director from Takashi Miike and Takeshi Kitano to uh, Sion Sono, you know, and um, uh, you know, he's just like this, amazing generous guy who loves talking about film he's um greek british but he's lived in japan for like 20 odd years um and yeah it's going to be a total blast so our first episode is going to be on uh, toshiaki toyoda who's this uh really 
just punk rock director. You would love his stuff, man. He's Amazing. done. Uh, so the first thing that he released was this uh, box set called The Early Years, where he did Porno Star, which was his debut film, uh, which is kind of this like Reservoir Dog style um, crime film, but mixed with kind of like high school uh, like angst cinema. Amazing. He also did like Blue Spring. Um, he's done Nine Souls. Anyway, and now what we've got coming out soon is the the later years, so all of his experimental stuff that he's doing now. Um, so we're going to do the first episode focusing on that. Um, but then beyond there, we're going to be doing focuses on different directors. So Sono is 100% going to be an episode. Um, so will be Kitano. And yeah, I just cannot wait. There's going to be a lot, a lot to look forward to. I don't know if you've seen the films of uh, Shinya Tsukamoto. No, of course um, I haven't, Ben. I'm a, I'm a philistine. I'm too busy watching <laughs> Nicolas Cage straight to VOD films. I don't know. You might. He he did uh, Tetsuo, the uh, the Iron Man. You know that one. I I, I, I know the film. It's it's on my list. It is on my list. Right. Yeah. Well, that guy is like a hero to me. I think his films are just the bee's knees and. Um, so I said to to Adams, like, we have to have a Sukumoto episode and oh my God, we're gonna do this and the other. And he's like, Oh yeah, I'll um I'll speak to Shinya. I'm sure he'll come on the show. And I was like, What? <laughs> and I'm like, Yeah, man, he's into that sort of thing. I was like, Oh fuck. Like <laughs> So yeah, I'm kind of pinching myself at the moment, like living the dream a little bit. Um Amazing. So yeah, I can't wait. So uh, yeah, um if you look at my Twitter is at Benji Box, that's Benji with a Y and then box or one word or um, at third window is, is Adam's uh, account. If you just keep an eye on that, we'll be able to to update you. I, I don't know an exact release date yet, but it'll be sometime in October. We'll be starting that and rolling on hopefully monthly from there. Amazing. I can't wait for that. Ben. Just have, like speak to you, how passionate you are about East Asian cinema and just films in general, just to like, I don't know, like, and obviously speaking to you personally about this kind of project coming up, I, yeah, I, I'm sure I speak for myself as well as the people listening as well, like kind of hear, hear, hearing your kind of enthusiasm that it's going to be an amazing, amazing podcast. And thank you so much for coming and getting caged in with me. <laughs> thank you, mate. It was, uh, it was a real pleasure. I can't wait. And I hope you'll kind of watch along with the podcast when we go. You know, now you're into your sono, you can uh, oh, keep going down this East Asian rabbit hole. I will, I will. Before you know it, this uh, this podcast will be ditched <laughs> and I'll be, I'll be fully on the uh, East Asian cinema train. We'll be like caged in Tokyo or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Amazing. So there we go, guys. Until Nicolas Cage releases a new film, we are on top of the mountain. We are up to date with what he has out. I think the next film on the docket, potentially, is the unbearable weight of massive talent. Unless, for some reason, the retirement plan has a real quick turnaround in post-production and we get that first. Thank you so much again for listening. And thank you to Ben. For coming on this episode i had so much fun ben is so so lovely and i cannot wait for the third window films podcast 
it's going to be great, right? You've heard how enthusiastic Ben is about East Asian cinema. So you can only imagine what a whole podcast dedicated to that will be like, especially seeing as the stories he told us of Adam seems like the guy the guy's got connections he knows everyone he's he's got the stories ben's got the the kind of love and the analytical eye for this stuff so yeah i i cannot wait obviously in this episode i did some really spicy spicy hot takes if you have some spicy hot takes of your own please don't hesitate to get in touch you can do on all the social media so that is twitter instagram facebook and letterboxd at caged in pod always love to hear from you guys uh, yeah let's let's have a good old chat let's have a debate did you love this film did you hate this film let me know either way i'm not gonna argue with you we're just gonna have a fun old chat or if you kind of if you want to i don't know if you want to confess your love for me or you want to tell me your deepest darkest secrets you can always drop me an email which is caged in pod at gmail.com and as always if you enjoyed this episode any of the other episodes on my kind of uh split personality podcast caged in presents copla connections if you've enjoyed any of it if you enjoy the 149 episodes that i've released of this podcast before we hit the big 150 is that is that is that a cause for celebration it possibly is but we'll be yeah we'll be celebrating somewhat next week as i mentioned in the intro when i'll be doing a nick cage all night a marathon kind of recap about the the turmoil on mine and my guest bodies and kind of the experience as a whole um yeah if you if you enjoy (laughs) the podcast please don't hesitate to rate review and subscribe on apple podcast acast or wherever you're listening to this right now or you want to give me a little bit of money you can do you can either head on over to patreon.com forward slash caged in pod i do promise that there is more stuff coming i've just recently started a new job and i'm trying to balance things at the moment trying to figure out how i can sustain doing the podcast as it as it regularly is whilst working as well as trying to slot in some some bonus stuff i i I get overexcited guys i normally like the cool bonus stuff i know like i'm not as savvy as other podcasts they just like stick that behind a paywall and and get loads of money i'm just kind of like i'm so excited about this i want to share it with you so uh, i need to get better uh, at being stingy basically or if you just want to buy me a cup of coffee no strings attached just one-off payment you can do so which is at uh ko-fi.com forward slash caged in pod all that money goes back into the podcast goes into kind of weird and wonderful things we have planned in the future whether that is merch or kind of equipment that want to get or yeah anything like that kind of make the podcast sound better look better give you guys cool stuff that you can wear listen to whatever so yeah that all of that is greatly appreciated so as always i have been petros patsilibus i have been caged in i'll catch you next time
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged in Coppola Connections, a Drip Town Limery, Maine, franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network, it's family. <laughs>